just past 7 o'clock, and here we go. Monday night, it's time for some fun. Time for Iron Sports. This is True Oldies, 95.9 and 106.9. I'm Mike Balsamo. Very happy to have Ira back in South Florida, back in the studio. Ira, nice to see you. All, we're all decked out in our master's stuff today. Me with the visor that you uh, very graciously gifted to me, and you all in green. Uh, well, master's shirt and master's hat. And they're only available during master's week to buy. So I've been giving these presents out to people. <laughs> it's like very special to give a master's. But uh, it's fine. I love I love it. These these master's things are awesome. Great quality. And it's a, like you said, it's a, you can only get it one place in the world so. one place in the world one week of the time <laughs> that's good, it good you can't, you can't order it's only that one week of the masters and most people aren't like you they don't know when they're ever going back so <laughs> you might have tickets for next year already but Ira, it's a good thing you're in studio because we are packed today first up at 7 15 we're going to talk to david hyde and any of our listeners here in south florida they probably know david hyde he's an expert on the heat an expert on the dolphins and for national listeners look the heat are the number one seed the dolphins everyone's talking about two and they're in the news all the time so i'd love to to get hyde on david hyde on to talk about he's he is totally an insider on both of those teams great to have him on the show so up next at 7 30 we're going to have dave severitson and dave is someone that is extremely knowledgeable he's worked in the front offices of nfl teams tell us about him um draft expert we're going to bring him on he's worked with the Giants a lot mm -hmm. so we're gonna have someone in about breaking down the draft I mean Last couple of years, remember we talked. We spent like about two months getting the draft, get ready for the draft. But it seems like this year the free agency was so big. Draft is going to be huge in Vegas. It's going to be the biggest made-for-TV event you can imagine. There'll be a million people. It's more of an event than the players itself. But we should know who's getting picked and those things like that. So I'm excited to have it. We're not going to have the star power of the quarterbacks, but I can't wait to ask Dave about the Kenny Pickett's and, and the Corrals and all the other quarterbacks. And it does stand to be mentioned, your Pittsburgh Steelers probably in the market for someone. Very important. This could be a, a decades-defining decision about what quarterback. If they get it right, this could be the quarterback for the next 20 years. Your last so. one was two decades, yeah, so, so you could say that was the correct one. And then I don't think he needs any introduction. Around 745, we're going to be joined by Kelly Pavlik, friend of the show. Yes, he's been on a couple times before. He's a former undisputed middleweight champion of the world. There is actually a big fight this weekend during the afternoon. People don't want to stay up till 1130 night. It's in the middle of the afternoon on Saturday, Tyson Fury, who is the most entertaining heavyweight champions ever, against Dylan White. Um, it's going to be in front of almost 100,000 people in England because they're both English fighters. It's going to be crazy. I cannot wait to see this fight. I want him to preview that. Canelo Alvarez, who's the number one boxer in the world, he fights in May 7th, so we can sort of talk about that fight. So just a couple things, but I definitely want him to talk, give us some previews of Fury and White. That's all coming up tonight on Ira on Sports. Don't forget, you can see where Ira's been. Follow along with him all across social media at Ira on Sports. Ira, where have you been? Just Miami Heat game uh, yesterday, so that was uh, fun to be there at that arena. I, I just, you know, the one thing I could say about going to the Heat game, it was, I've been to five games this year in the last, like, month, and it was very sedate crowd, not into it. Last night, it was just, last, yeah, let's say last night, yesterday afternoon, mm -hmm. everyone wearing white, everyone loud. It was great to see that. I mean, I love the, the enthusiasm from the Heat fans. It really came out yesterday. So let's talk about how we got here as far as NBA goes. And, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of when, of the NBA when they introduced these play-in games, but it seems like the players and the fans are treating it like a playoff game, as they should be. Let's start with Brooklyn and uh, Atlanta and what we had to do there in the East. Well, they both got in. I mean, Brooklyn played, remember, Brooklyn 7, they played Cleveland, which was the A seed. Brooklyn ended up, you know, it was the first time Cleveland's been in the playoffs since 2018, when, of course, with LeBron. This year has been tremendous. They went from 22 wins to 44 wins, and their star player, Darius Garland, played great that night. They had 34 points. Um, they started down, the problem is they went down 40 to 
20. Kyrie could not miss. Kyrie was 12 for 15. One of the 30, best games of his career. 34 points, 12 assists, and Durant had 25 points, 11 assists. Brooklyn wins that game. Now, Jared Allen, Cleveland Stars center, could have probably came back for that game. It's almost like Cleveland almost held him back and saying, okay, we're going to use you for the next game because then then, uh, um, then the next thing was Atlanta, the ninth seed, played 10, the Charlotte, uh, 10th seed. And this game was terrible. I mean, <laughs> Trey Young didn't play that great, but the score was 132 to 103. Charlotte really didn't come to play. Uh, I was really exciting for a game for LaMelo Ball, waiting for him to put a great show on, did play well. I've seen Charlotte play much better this year. They had a good win against Brooklyn. Very bad performance, but they're out. That means 9-10 plays, Charlotte's out. So then the loser. So Brooklyn's in, and then Cleveland played Atlanta to see who would get the AC seed. And Atlanta ended up uh, winning that game. Um, it was uh, Laurie Marketing was played great game for the Cavs at 26 points. But Garland, uh, Trey Young outplayed him. Trey Young yeah. outplayed Darius Garland. It was an exciting game. But uh, And the thing that helped, when I saw this game going, you thought Atlanta was going to win. When Clint Capella got injured, so that's a star center for the Atlanta, I'm thinking, wow, there is no way the Hawks are going to beat the Heat if they don't have Capella. They have no center, they have no sight. But he just had 7.8 rebounds in 13 minutes, injures his knee on actually a flagrant foul. He was committing. He pulled someone <laughs> down. He pulled a player down uh, from the from the Cavs into his own knee. And that's what hurt him. So it's you got to get a flagrant foul on a, a play that injures you. But Atlanta ends up winning that game 107-01. So Brooklyn is a seven seed, and they're playing, of course, Boston. We're going to talk about that amazing game yesterday. And Atlanta is playing the Heat. So then going to the West, we ended up with Minnesota and New Orleans coming out. But Minnesota had to go through the Clippers first. And I don't think anybody in the NBA front offices wanted this to happen here in the first round. Well, I'll tell you what. In that seven and eight, Minnesota, the, everyone thought the Clippers were going to win this game. I like Minnesota. I've seen them then playing great this year. Paul George came to play. He was injured almost the whole year, came back, played, uh, scored 34 points. Carl Anthony Towns was 0-7 in the first half, 3-11 for the whole game. He had 11 points. He fouled out with seven minutes to go. The star for the Timberwolves. You're like, they have no shot to win. But Anthony Edwards, who, now I have to say, when he was came out of Georgia with number one pick in the draft, I said, he's going to be a bust. I never, saw, <laughs> I never saw Anthony Edwards in college. He just stood around. This is not Anthony Edwards. I think there's somebody else. This is a, a, <laughs> I was totally wrong on him. I, I watched him play college basketball, but he's been getting better and improving, and this was his coming out. 30 points. D'Angelo Russell's Scored 29 points. And so without Carl Anthony Towns, who committed the worst six foul you could imagine on a stupid play to get himself out of a, a must-win game, he wins. And the Minnesota wins. Patrick Beverly, who was uh, waived sort of by the Clippers, they didn't re-sign him. And so and they celebrated. And a lot of people criticized Minnesota for having it looking like they won. They were playing like it's a shining moment, like it was NCAA tournament. But they haven't had a big playoff win. I think they can celebrate. It was fun. It was it was a great game too. And then the 9-10 game wasn't was not that exciting. New Orleans played San Antonio and. What about the New Orleans team? When you watch it, you have C.J. McCollum, who they traded from, got from Portland, and Brandon Ingram, who they had a trade about two years ago from the Lakers mm-hmm. for the Anthony Davis trade. They're starting to like. New Orleans is really good. They're well coached. Willie Green's are coaches. They're well coached. They're a good team. If they had Zion, wow! Like if they're the Zion, team. they could be the number two seed. Like they're that close, and they they blew out. They they beat the Spurs by ten, but it wasn't even that close. Uh, and then because they're playing it, but they'll be great if Zion could be healthy. They have four rookies: Herb Jones, Alvarado, and Murphy that play really well. Like they, this team has potential. And then New Orleans, uh, then in the game was the New Orleans. So Minnesota's in, and then New Orleans played the Clippers. 
Clippers, uh, and the Clippers were at home to see who was going to be the A seed. And New Orleans came in and had that a good win. I mean, Brandon Ingram was unstoppable with 30 points, six boards, six assists. Larry Nance Jr. was rebounding all over the place. Um, New Orleans was up by 16. They blew the lead and then came back. And this was this was probably this is the Minnesota. This is probably the game of the of the whole play in tournament. But New Orleans ends up being the Clippers, so they are end up being the A seed. Do you want to just for one second talk about what are the, what's the ramifications here for the Clippers not making it through? I, I mean, is it time you have to blow this up? I know Kawhi's been out. Paul George has had some issues lately, but it's clear that this this team should be a number one or two seed, and they're just far from that. It's just, it's really tough to decide what they're going to do. I think they're going to run it. I, I listened to debates. Are they going to run it back with Kawhi? He's going to be healthy next year. Some thought he could play this the tournament, but considering his injury history, Paul George's injury history, they do have a lot of complimentary pieces, but not to make the playoffs with this team. I mean, they were sort of surprised during the year. I think they tried one year, but Steve Ballmer has spent so much money for this team. They're building a brand new arena. Like, there is a point where now they're signed for next year. I think they go and they run it back to Ty- Tyrone Lue is their coach. They like their coach. I think they try one more time, but but I know Bomber cannot be happy with the investment. I mean, he is all in on this team, and they want to win. So, let's talk about, uh, you know, the official start of the playoffs. You were there. We'll go to the Heat first. Heat versus Hawks. Any in- interesting stories you getting there, having fun? I know you were kind of partying it up outside <laughs> a little bit, uh, but you know, this team's going to go the way Trey Young goes, and Trey Young did not go, <laughs> and the Heat looked good. Yeah, I think that, first of all, that now Atlanta says, oh, well, we had to play two days before we were tired, all these excuses. But I liked... Look, I is, is uh, Nick is someone who follows the Knicks and saw what happened Trey Young in the playoffs last year, where he just kept scoring 40, 35, 40 mm-hmm. points a game. The Heat said, "We're just not going to let him score. We're just going to stop wherever he drives. We're going to stop." I mean, I have a video of him. He went and drove on Gabe Vincent, and Vincent pushed him back, and then Trey Young was like forty-five feet from the basket and just launched a three. And he's mm-hmm. not like Steph Curry; he can't make that shot <laughs> consistently. But it was they were so frustrated, and it just seemed like everything from Atlanta they just couldn't. I mean, Trey Young was one for twelve. Now here's a superstar. Here's a super the superstar was 1 for 12 and Bogdanovich their other star shooter was 0 for, was 0 for 8 so they were 1 for 20 combined it was it was horrendous and Look, the Heat. They had Bam just got out of bio, just six points. But Duncan Robinson comes in. Now he's been coming off the bench. He had a Heat record, eight threes. So they can use. <laughs> and this is the question for the Heat. All these players they have, they go ten deep. In the playoffs, you're supposed to shorten your your rotation. They increase the rotation. They have so many players, but it's putting the pressure on Spolster to make the right decisions. I just loved how they brought Gabe Vincent in the game with Lowry and Hero. How they went small when they can. This team can go big, small. They have so many options. A lot of pressure on Spolster to make those right calls with the right people. And if Hero's not playing well, other people can pick it up. They're not dependent on one player. And they do have an excellent coach who's proven that he can do this. So I've got all the confidence in the world in the but Heat. But this series should be... I, I I can't see the Hawks taking a game. I, this got to be a One at the most. The, I, I don't even think one. I really think this... When they, they're going to win on Tuesday, that they're going to go... Now, supposedly Adebayo and Tucker might have some injuries, but I think they'll play. But the fact is, is that without Capella, I can't see the Hawks doing anything. So Boston and Brooklyn, Ira, this ended up being one of the better games and more exciting finishes. I've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, Boston was was winning easily in the third quarter. They would look like they were up. Then they just fell apart. Um, they were at one point they were up by 30, 82, 69, and then then uh, Celtics, you know, came back. I mean, the the Brooklyn came back. Kyrie in the fourth quarter was amazing, scoring everywhere. But it was 111, 111 with like 40 seconds to go. Kyrie makes a three, it makes it 114, 111. Celtics call a timeout, and the key thing was that in seven seconds they were able to score quick. Jalen Brown just drove right by Kyrie, made it 114, 113. But that mean that meant that they didn't have to foul. There was still like I think like thirty some seconds to go. So then Brooklyn had to take a shot up one, and Kyrie does the stupidest thing. He dribbles the ball and goes 
it looked like it was in Biddy League. I don't know where he was going with the ball. He drove to the left and then went to the right and just got himself trapped in the corner. And the last second, he throws to Durant, who ended up shooting like a 35 or 38 foot shot and missing it. So that was that was and that and then the Celtics got the ball, no timeout. And what do they do? They every player on the on their team, Horford, White, Brown, and then Marcus Smart gets the ball and he throws it right to to Tatum, Jason Tatum, who laid it up on a layup yeah. with no time left to win. And what's amazing about that play is that Durant was standing there right when Tatum went back door on him, just looked at him. I mean, Durant is standing there guarding nobody. Kyrie, Tatum just went past uh, Kyrie. I mean, he went back, but that just shows you. I mean, Durant and Kyrie are amazing players, and they say, oh, they can be great defensively when they want to. Well, that was when they needed to be defensively, yeah. <laughs> and they didn't They didn't play well. And, you know, the other storyline of the game was that the fans were on Kyrie. Surprise, surprise, surprise. And he then was <laughs> showed uh, gestures, certainly with his fingers to the crowd <laughs> and that but again it's going to be you're in Boston you're playing I mean look if these superstars want to go to these teams they have a lot of flexibility and they leave these teams are going to be mad at them like to expect not to you it's giving them the flexibility to leave I, I don't see what's such a surprise Kyrie's been making himself a villain for a decade what do you think is going to happen in these situations he says it helps him and motivates him I don't know I, I don't I, I, I it seemed like he seemed to be more into the crowd and it seemed like a different like when Reggie Miller was doing it with the Knicks it just seemed it seemed different with Reggie Miller. Yeah. This seemed like a meanness. Like Reggie Miller seemed to be embracing it. I think it was like a meanness that, that they had. Um, I, look, it's just, it was one, but we'll see. This series is so good. It, you're seeing Tatum and Brown and this team. Now the Celtics don't have Robert Williams. If they had Robert Williams, they would beat the Nets. But uh, look, Durant and Kyrie are going to come back like they next play on Wednesday. This is a seven game series. Every game is going to come down to the wire. I cannot wait to watch every one of these games. I think Boston's going to win, but I think it's going to be a great seven game series. I definitely can see this one going seven. Just got got about two or three minutes till we get to David Hyde of the Florida Sun Sentinel. Um, Milwaukee and the Bulls in this one, not going to be shocked if Milwaukee rolls over in four or five. Yeah, well, I, Milwaukee, the first game, I mean, the Bucks were up 32-16, just couldn't put them away, but the Bulls couldn't shoot 32%. I mean, DeMar DeRozan was six for 25. Uh, in the fourth quarter, the Bulls went six for 28, one for 12 from threes. And when I watched the Bucks and I watched Giannis out there with Middleton, who didn't really play well at Holiday, but Brooke Lopez now playing, like he's so good. It's just like they, they look like a team. They're professionals. They played together for so, a number of years. This is looking where the Nets look like they're learning how to play with each other. Yeah. This team's been playing together for like three years. And it seems like they and they won a title last year and they just know what they're doing. And they keep it when they have Middleton and Holiday and Giannis out there, they know how to get Giannis the ball. Like I I, I think they're playing great. Like I like I really, as much as I think the Heat are going to go, I want the Heat to go to the finals. I think the Bucks are going to win the East. I think it's going to be Bucks Suns. But the Bucks look, they didn't play well and they still won that game. Talk about uh, 76ers and Raptors here. Well, it's not going to be much. The question was, can the 76ers get out of their way? And if they can do this the rest of the season, they could probably win these. If Tyrone Maxey scores 38 points, and Tobias Harris scores 26 points, and uh, Embiid, who was only like 5 for 15, I mean, it didn't have a big game, but the fact is that they can rely on Maxey and Harris and have Harden, who had an average game play. They're going to beat every. I mean, they, that was a great win. The Raptors, though, are suffering injuries. Barnes is out. Um, Gary Trent's out. And this, team, this Raptors team, like, this was a good draw for the 76ers in terms of that first round. Um, I, I think that they're, you know, the, I, I assume that they're probably, they might drop a game, but I look, I like, I think Milwaukee's going to win in four, 76ers win in four or five, Heat win in four, and this Boston-Brooklyn game will go seven games. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel on Mike Balsamo. Let's shift over to the West, the number one seed, the Suns, keep doing what they do, and they win games, Ira. Well, it's 
Look, they, they they were up by 19 at halftime. They got lazy. They weren't whatever. And it was so fun to watch the fourth quarter. Chris Paul, 30 points, 10 assists. He was 12 for 16 shooting. He hit on in a row. Boom, boom, boom. Three straight possessions. Three-pointer, three-pointer, three-pointer layup. I mean, amazing. He's 37 years old, and he play, He took over that game. It just shows you. Mm-hmm. They have so many players. They're great defense. I mean, the Suns in that game showed they could just – I don't see them losing. I mean, they're that good. Talk about Golden State and Denver. Um, well, in terms of Golden State, the key is – uh, Jordan Poole, the player from Michigan who was playing well this year, he started, play great. Curry came off the bench. Wiggins at 16 points. Clay, 19 points. Draymond Guard Green, 12. Um, it's just one of the – Denver has Jokic and really no one else. Golden State, the question is could they be healthy? Could they gel? They are. I think it was big. I, this this is making me think this Golden State-Phoenix Western Conference final could be enormous. It's really – those are the two by far best teams. What about Minnesota and Memphis here? Well, you know what? This was the big upset. This was the only upset game. Minnesota it was riding this Anthony Edwards. They got Carl Anthony Towns playing again. And Memphis, I have to say, I like Memphis. I think they've done great this year. They're the number two seed, but they really have John Morant, who's not had playoff experience. Nobody in this team has experience. Mm-hmm. Minnesota really doesn't either, so it's a it's a nice matchup of two young teams. But really, I just Memphis to me was 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 vulnerable, and Minnesota's taking advantage of it. And I think Minnesota can win this series, but as a two seed, which would be great though for Golden State because if Golden State wins, they play Minnesota next. So they play Denver, Minnesota. That puts Golden State in the finals. And finally, Utah is playing Dallas. I mean, no Luka Doncic. It's just not the same team. Huh? It's so funny. I listened to Sports Talk Radio today, and everyone's saying, oh, I think that Dallas has a shot. They have Jalen Brunson and Spencer Didwitty as their guards. You Luka Doncic is there, and they go, oh, they, they're not learning how to play without Doncic. Well, Doncic is the, the star, the moon, everything around their team. Clearly, they're going to lose. Like, Utah is supposed to be really good. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Like, this should not—I This was. I think Utah was going to win with Doncic. Without it, I can't— believe like the Utah's going to win again they're going to win to, uh, tonight and then they're going to go and they're going to sweep this series so I, I just without Doncic the, the Dallas has no chance I, I agree with you there MVP who would you pick if you had to decide so close Giannis Embiid and Joker were the three finalists I think I think that Jokic, who won last year from Denver, is going to win again. But if you look at their stats, oh, they're so— But I think Jokic, the fact that he he's carried this Denver team the entire year, is 27 points, 14 rebounds, 8 assists. If you watch him play, he has no help on that team, whereas Embiid and Giannis have other players— I'm, they're all great. I think LeBron is the best player in the game. Giannis is probably the second best player in the game. But Joker this year, if you look at the body of the work, I think he's the MVP again. And when you win the MVP and then your stats get better, it's hard to not uh, give the guy the MVP. He had MVP. the all-time highest PR because not only does he shoot threes, he gets eight assists, 14 rebounds and 27 points, and he's like carrying the entire team. No one can guard him. He's amazing. Let's go to uh, David Hyde here. This is Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. I'm honored to have the Florida Sun Sentinel, a writer who covers the Dolphins and the Miami Heat, David Hyde on. David, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ira. So you have an excellent article in today's Sun Sentinel about the Heat game last night over the Hawks, the 115-91 victory. And I liked how you first started saying, boy, the Heat fans were into the game. I was there yesterday. I noticed the two first Heat victory at home in the playoffs since 2016. But fans just were like all white, but just a loud voice. Everything made it a good environment. Yeah, fun. Uh, you know, between the season he has where you don't know who's going to play for eight and with uh, wiping out um, or taking away their year, they went to the NBA Finals with the bubble. They had to go to the bubble in Orlando. It hasn't. It, it had, it's been six years now since there was a home playoff win, and uh, so that was fun. It was a fun atmosphere, a fun night, and uh, you know it'll be interesting to see um, not only how the Heat build off that night, but um, where they go this, in the next few weeks. 
And you mentioned the article about uh, compare Spolster to Belichick over the defensive move maneuvers, but truly, Trey Young, 1 for 12 shooting, Bogdanovic 0 for 8 shooting. It would, They really, Trey Young, there was a point where I think Trey Young tried to drive, couldn't drive over Vincent and ended up like you know, trying to make a 45 foot shot because that was the easiest shot he could make. Just the defense on Trey Young finally and stopping Trey Young. Some of these other teams in the playoffs, like the Knicks last year, just let him go off for 40, 35 points every game, but the Heat were able to, to hold him way in check. Yeah, and you know how this goes in a seven-game series or, you know, I predict five-game series, but um, Trey Young will have his moments. But yesterday was uh, the Heat defense and Spolstra and the way they set up and, and um, frustrated Atlanta. And, and, you know, not only was Young bad at shooting today, uh, his career day shooting, but so so was his, part, his uh, other parts, uh, um, Gallinari and and uh, some of the other pieces that their Atlanta needs to, to make. They're awful shooting. And so, um, you know, game, game two Tuesday to me is really the series. Atlanta has to win that. Um, they're not going to beat the four or five um, afterwards. So, um, and, and they'll come out. Um, I, I expect them to be better than they were Sunday, whether they're good enough to win. We'll see. And the other Belichick comparison would be about, in terms of how to do rotations, actually the coaching. I mean, so much in the NBA is, well, the coach doesn't matter. The Heat realized they have one of the top coaches in the league, Spolstra. But by giving him this team that where they're playing 11 guys, I mean, Butler, Lowry, Bam, Tucker, Strew, Start, you know, that, but their bench play, I mean, even at the end of the game, when you have people like Vincent and Martin and Strews, who are, you know, significant players during the game in the, in the mop-up role at the end of the game, shows, now they put some pressure on Spolster. He has to put the right rotations to make sure they, they work during the game. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about the way the heater are constructed. You know, they, they have um, really good veteran older guys, the Butlers and Lowry's and P.J. Tucker's. They have a good young middle class of guys, uh, at Ayo and Tyler Hero. And then they have, uh, you know, guys they've just discovered that, and are, you know, the, the ones you meant, Struess and Caleb Martin, and, uh, guys who, you know, in fact, LeBron and, and Kyle Kuzma tweeted about it yesterday about how the Heat find these players. Um, now that puts a burden on Spolster, and, and the, the interesting part he has to keep an open mind every night on who has the hot hand. And yesterday uh, against Atlanta, it was uh, Duncan Robinson, the eight of nine on three pointers, nine of ten shooting overall. Um, and so Spolster rode his hot hand, and, he, and his mind just has to be open to that because you know Tyler Hero didn't have the kind of game he's capable of either to that Abayu. And so, you know, he moved the offense um, running, you know, a lot through or with Duncan's shooting and, and the way Duncan opened up the floor for everybody else. And so, um, you know, that's the blessing and the burden of having a, a, a roster like this. It's not like you're going to go into a game, you know, like when they had the big three here and knowing that LeBron, Wade, or and or Bosch would, uh, you know, carry them and they will either win or lose with them in some form. Now, now Spolster has to react to what's going on each game. And that brings back to Jimmy Butler. I mean, Jimmy Butler's the star of the team, and he is a great star in terms of he doesn't have to score 30 points to win the game. He, he can be happy scoring 12, 14 points. But he admitted himself that he was a little passive in terms of uh, uh, did not been, wasn't aggressive with his shooting. I mean, he was uh, 9 for 15 yesterday, uh, four assists, more aggressive in terms of uh, going to the basket, even though he doesn't, it, the offense doesn't run through him. 
Yeah, well, it's good to hear. It was good to hear the Heat. Um, if you're a fan of the Heat, saying, "Well, we didn't play all that great," or there's places we need to work on, or, or a guy like Butler saying, "I wasn't that aggressive," because um, that, that's the team they want to be in the playoffs. You know, that, that they want to be. They showed Sunday the the uh, form they want to be. Now, if each particular part can do better. That's that's great, but um, between their defense and um, you know, you look, you look at Butler was the point man on the defense a lot against Trey Young, you know, and then they'd spend eight or ten seconds switching and trying to get Atlanta would and tr- trying to get the right matchup for Trey Young, and um, so by then they're deep in the shot clock and and end up uh, you know two three seconds left having to put up a shot they didn't want a lot of times. But Butler, uh, you know. He might be nitpicking on his offense, but on his defense, uh, you know, he's exactly what they hoped. And then when I saw Capella get hurt, in the, I was nervous about the Hawks as a Heat fan, but I was nervous about him saying that it's going to, I think the Hawks with Capella would cause a lot of problems. But when Capella got hurt in the Cavs series in the Cav game, um, without him, you can see there just a hole in the middle. I mean, Okachamba, who came in, hit three points. And without Capella, it's just a completely different Hawks team. Yeah, that's that was really the the question coming out. You know, you look you look at the danger. Uh, people say, like me, the regular season is diluted, and it is. But you, you look at this matchup: the Heat um, get Atlanta because they have the top seed, rather than facing a dangerous Brooklyn team that that really should have beaten Boston Game One yesterday. That's going to be a a uh, brutal series. Um, and then the Heat. Uh, so so there there's one benefit. The other benefit is. These playing games that the low seeds have to play, and that's where Pella got hurt. You know, Atlanta got John Collins back for the first time in about a month yesterday, um, and so that helped. But you know, you're they're under and inside, which is really the the place that you're vulnerable. It's it's to uh, if you if you had a bigger, stronger, talented team inside that that, that uh, you know the Heat can be exposed at times that way. Um, so. Yeah, if Capella can't come back this series, then then, then uh, Atlanta's in trouble. And then looking forward to if they get past the Hawks, it looks like Philadelphia is is rolling. And with Toronto's injuries, uh, playing Embiid is going to present the problem that they had Randall a couple years ago. Same thing. He's Embiid, and you have Harden and Maxi. I mean, it looked really first game. The Sixers and the Heat series would be tremendous. Yeah, that'd be a good series, you know. And and again, I'd, I'd rather play Philadelphia than the other options uh, um, out there. The the uh, winner of, you know, we'll look who's on the other side there right now in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. And so you wouldn't meet them until the Eastern Conference Finals. So that's, again, it'd be in the number one. And, um, yeah. and just a quick question I, I was going to say is, uh, you, you mentioned LeBron earlier, and I always been thinking about this in terms of since LeBron left the Heat, he won titles, but uh, certainly a couple of years and not being the playoffs. Um, and I know that Pat Riley flew over to Vegas. He's like, stay here. I will build this team. I know how to construct a team better than anyone else in the league. Stay here. I you six, seven more titles. And LeBron, of course, with his brand left. But, I mean, do you think, what do you think in terms of how, just your analysis, your impression about LeBron leaving the Heat and the last eight years compared to what the Heat have gone through the last eight years? Well, you you lose like you lose LeBron and and almost lateral damage uh, uh, Wade and and then Bosch gets sick. The, 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 the Heat went down real quickly and through bad luck and LeBron's decision. And uh, uh, but you know what? I always thought he was a rental coming down here. 
I, I wrote it after the second year, I think it was, that uh, enjoy this because it's, it's fleeting. <laughs> and and it was the greatest show uh, that I've that I been around, or probably anybody's been around uh, down here or maybe in uh, – you know, it's it's up there, maybe better than Showtime and all that stuff. But, but um, so to me, it was a uh, you know four years. Thank you, thanks for coming here. Uh, more than you know the way he left and 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 being angry at that man. There was there was time for that at the moment, but uh, I think that's all past. And and um, look, LeBron had to go. He, he wanted to go back to Cleveland. He wanted to win there. Um, he wanted. Ake. Um, a men's and men fences with the, the, you know a, a, his part of the world that's important to him. So I, I, I got all that. I, I, I really didn't have a problem when he left. And we're talking to David Hyde of the Florida Sun Sentinel. Uh, one thing you should know about the Sun Sentinel, you can uh, subscribe. I, I actually just did it, uh, $1 a month. So to get the Sun Sentinel, to get all of David's articles, it's only $1 a month to, to get on, online, which is great. Uh, but I, you also cover the Miami Dolphins. I just want to ask you a question or two about them. Um, the draft is coming up. They only drafted in the third and fourth round. Do we expect anything happening on draft day? I mean, they, every day seems to be a surprise from the Dolphins, but maybe we're just going to have a quiet, you know, just draft third, fourth round, maybe a solid player in those positions. Yeah, I don't expect anything, but, you know, who knows? They, they have so many young players on, on this team right now as far as draft picks in the last recent years that they they don't need to add youth they, they of course could add talent and if there's some player they really love you know maybe they go up after him but um with all the uh sugar rush of free agency and and the signings they had there i i i would think they're they they, they did enough this offseason but it's, it is weird going into a draft and not paying any attention to it, though, because for the past 20 years, it seems like we've been conditioned, and certainly the last three years, um, we've been conditioned that it's all about the draft. Now I don't even look at the mock drafts. <laughs> and Mike McDaniel, was, we saw in the videos with Tua at this at a, some sort of event that Tua had, uh, the whole point is, is McDaniel, when he got the job, said, I, I, I believe in Tua. I'm going to make this work. And do you sense, you know, since he's been hired and with all these new additions with Hill and everyone else, do you sense the enthusiasm in the Dolphins front office for Tua and the belief that this is going to work with Tua this year? Well, I think that, that's the only option is, is, is to go 1,000% behind Tua. I mean, um, they were with Deshaun Watson until the trade deadline. They... They flirted with Tom Brady, and it sounded and talked to people, and not just my reports, other reports, that uh, they were interested in bringing in Tom Brady until that collapsed, in, in part because of Brian Flores' lawsuit. Um, so, but, yeah, they're 1,000% behind Tua because he's their guy. And, and um, what a great opportunity for, for Tua with, with this the changes they brought, and, and for Mike McDaniel in his first year as a head coach, they got uh, they have some interesting pieces to work with, and we'll see if it works. Well, and you mentioned I, I would, about the Brady situation. That story just keeps talking about in terms of the fact that Brady could have possibly been an owner of the team, player. I mean, there seemed a lot of things that would happen with the fact that Brady could have maybe moved from Tampa to Miami. Yeah, that was in the in the works. Sean Payton was in the works to come here. You know exactly. Was it ninety percent done? Fifty percent done? I don't know, but um, there were ancillary parts um, coming with them too. So you know that, that you know Brady's connection with 
the owner in waiting behind Steve Ross, uh, Bruce Beal, um, his, he was building, he's still building a house on Indian Creek where Don Shula used to live in, in Miami beach. Um, and so I, you know, I, whether these rumors and plans that were short circuited are, are put off for good or whether they're, you know, going to be play in play again next year, we'll, we'll have to wait and see part of that will be depend on, uh, how Brady plays at age 45 and how Tua plays uh, in his third year with McDaniel. So, um, you know, a lot can change in a year, as we know, but um, certainly it's a stage of Tua and McDaniel for the Dolphins. Well, we've been talking to David Hyde of the Florida Sun Sentinel. Thanks a lot, David, for coming on. Is there any way besides reading you in the Sun Sentinel, any way in terms of your uh, social media following that people can follow you? Yeah, I got a Facebook. I got uh, Twitter at Dave Hyde Sports. Uh, but yeah, a dollar for six month, uh, a month for six months of the Sun Sentinel. That's about as good a deal as get some sports, right? You can't buy a beer for that at the ballpark. <laughs> no, at the Masters, maybe. I was just there, but maybe that. But... <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> so, Dave, well, thanks so much for coming on Iris Sports. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me, Iris. Great stuff. Great stuff there with um, David Hyde of the Florida Sun Sentinel. Let's go Dave to Dave here on Iron Sports, bringing Dave Syvertson, scout uh, for our lads. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I'm Mike along with Ira. And, you know, I got to say, it seems like everywhere you look, it's a foregone conclusion that Aiden Hutchinson's going number one overall. And is there any reason to think that that won't happen in the draft next week? Well, I mean, the Jaguars GM, Balky, he, he's been very he obsesses over tools and upside and and when you look at the tools that your your that Trayvon Walker brings to the table what he did at the combine it was it was historic right if you put the workout numbers that he put on the table and you put those in the wide receiver room he's one of the most athletic wide receivers in this draft and you know you obviously know he's not going to make a position change but I think similar to what they did with Alden Alden Smith in San Francisco they gambled on his tools, and before his legal issues and, and drug issues, we, he was he was an ascending superstar. And I think that there's a possibility that they're going to see it, that in Trayvon Walker, that the That's ceiling big. he brings to the table is unlike what Hutchinson could bring. You know, it's interesting you say that because you're right. Walker's flying up draft boards. So I'll, I wasn't going to ask this, but I will now. I mean, is he going to go before uh, Thibodeau? I do think, I, you know, that's going to be a coin flip to me. Yeah. I mean, how the top of this draft is going to shake out is just so unknown. I mean, where the quarterbacks are going, which corner is going to go first. But I, if I was a gambling man, I would put on Walker going before Thibodeau. Just because Thibodeau, there are issues on tape with his physical ability. His best tape that we saw in college was as a true freshman. And I think that there's some personality issues that are rubbing some GMs the wrong way, and you really just don't want to get it wrong at the top of the draft like that. So I do think there's a shot we see Walker go in front of Thibodeau. So, Dave, I'm a lifelong Giants fan. You work hand-in-hand with the New York Giants. So i got to ask you, what would be the ideal situation here for the Giants with the fifth and seventh pick? Well, I think that if you did see a Trayvon Walker fall down to number five, which is a possibility, you know, I said it's a coin flip between Walker and Thibodeau, and if the Jets are on the clock right before them, I could see them going for Thibodeau just based on the profile that that front office has gone for with their edge rusher. So yeah. I think your ideal scenario is you take Walker at five, who's a, a perfect fit for the new defensive scheme that's coming in with Wink Martindale, and then you take over – take whatever leftover offensive lineman is there at number seven. It's going to be Neal, Ekwanu, or Cross. I think you're happy with any of those three. You stick them at right tackle, 
And now, now that that's been the Achilles heel of this franchise for for years now. And now, at least you have these two guys on the outside that put a lot of resources into building the offensive line in the middle in free agency. Still a gaping hole there at right tackle. And if you pair one of those guys with Andrew Thomas, I think you're in a really good spot. And I think most of uh, you know Big Blue Nation agrees with you here because we'd be uh, pretty happy about that. Ira, what do you got? I just like to turn to the quarterbacks a little bit. Um, if you look at last yeah. year, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Now we look at the quarterbacks in this draft. Would any of these have quarterbacks gone ahead of, of any of those last year? I mean, or, I mean, they're probably going to go higher, perhaps. But or is it is it that weak a class, or is it just maybe people undervaluing some of these quarterbacks? I, I, I'm on the page that if if, the, if any of these guys were in last year's draft class, they would have been a second round pick. Oh, okay. And I, and I think I'm not saying they're going to be a second round pick this year because the quarterback position is the most important position in all sports, right? So, you know that some of these teams, I mean, that struck out on all of the trades that we saw this off season. I mean, that was unlike anything we've ever seen in an NFL off season, right? With all the quarterback movement with trades. And I think that goes to show you that these teams, they know that they're not going to get their guy in the draft this year. But at some point, you're going to have to roll the dice with a new quarterback. And I still think you're going to see two or three go in the first round. I think someone might trade up towards the end of the first round so that you can guarantee that fifth-year contract option, which is such a huge deal with the quarterback position when you consider the economics of the salary cap. So, you know, I I think all these guys, I'm having my reports in in front of me right now, all of them have – late first, early second round grades, but because of the position, you'll probably see them go a little higher. So where do you think, I mean, pick which quarterbacks you think will go to the first round, and and I know this is hard to predict, but where I'm a huge yep. Steeler fan, so clearly, I mean, I've gone to a zillion Steeler games that go everywhere. I travel and yep. plan. I was at yep. Ben's last game, and I knew when they drafted, I'll tell you what, when they drafted Ben at 10, I thought it was the right pick. I always liked I followed him when he was in college. I said, wow, that was a great pick. I'm glad we didn't have Rivers or Manning. I thought that was, and I thought he was the perfect situation. But, you know, is Pickett yep. going to or Willis? Like, who's going to be the next person I could, to run the Steelers? I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, just based on kind of reading the tea leaves between what Mike Tomlin is saying and Colbert, what they're saying, I know he's going to be gone soon, but I think he's going to be a big part of this decision. They want an athlete back there, but – they don't want someone that's just a running quarterback. And I think there's a lot of arrows pointing to Malik Willis, but I'm actually looking at Desmond Ritter as being the guy for the Steelers just because he is a an elite athlete. I don't think he gets enough attention for how athletic he is. He put out one of the most impressive performances at the Combine at the position. and But he's a pure pocket passer. Uh, he started a lot of games. He had a lot of success. His intangibles are off the charts. He's the kind of leader that you want in that room. And I think Pittsburgh still is going to want to have that old-school pocket passer, hmm. just someone that doesn't have cinder blocks tied to his shoes, like we, we, what you guys have had to deal with. <laughs> oh, <laughs> come on. But, but, but now Desmond, for our listeners, people don't, aren't that familiar, Desmond Ritter is the star quarterback from Cincinnati who led the team yep. into the cultural playoff last year, an amazing, amazing year they had at the, for the Bearcats. So if Ritter, if you have him going 20th to the Steelers, then who would be going ahead of that? It seems like they draft him a little too high because someone has Ritter go in the second round, but clearly the Steelers wouldn't wait. You know, they'd probably pick him in the, with the 20th pick. Yeah, I mean, you're playing with fire if you're going to hope to get your guy in the second round. And, hey, I mean, some teams do it. You know, Seattle did it with Russell Wilson a long time ago, and it worked out for them. But I think if you have conviction on a quarterback and you really want one, you're going to have to go for him in the first round. So 
I do think Kenny Pickett's going to go earlier than him to Carolina. I think Malik Willis has some arrows pointing to New Orleans. And if there is a fourth, I think it would be uh, Matt Corral, who probably would be traded for at the end of the first round. Or maybe Detroit can kind of sit put. They have to stay put. They have a pick at the end of the first round that they could use on him only for the sake of the contract. So I have Willis going right before Ritter, and then I have Kenny Pickett going in the top 10 uh, to Carolina. Is there going to be any thought of these teams that next year we're looking at Bryce Young, Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud? I mean, some people that are like they feel like you know first pick drafts, Trevor Lawrence type players. Um, yep. Do you think there'll be any ones that will pass this year and say I'll wait till next year? I mean, it's NFL is a win now league, but you don't want to waste on a first pick now when you really have some of these better quarterbacks next year. Yeah, I mean, that's such an interesting situation. I don't think anyone's going to come out and say it, but we all know that teams do it. And I think that, I mean, I'm looking at two teams that are picking in the top ten right now that, you know what, it wouldn't be a bad decision to bring in the quarterback if the grade was there. And I just don't think the grade is there. I'm looking at the Giants and the Falcons. And all signs are pointing towards both of these teams not playing well. But the Giants are in a unique situation. I'm really interested to see what they do with Daniel Jones' fifth-year option, which comes in May that, hey, I I would say don't pick it up. Let Jones play out this year and see what happens. I mean, Atlanta knows that Marcus Mariota is not the answer, but I also think that they brought brought him in to be the starting quarterback this year and possibly next year as well, but also with the mindset that, hey, we're going to stink next year. We're probably going to have a top five pick again. Let's wait for one of these quarterbacks. One thing to keep an eye on draft weekend in regard to this situation Teams are going to try to get first-round picks in next year's draft. Now, I don't know if there's going to be enough um, demand for teams looking to trade up and sell one of their future ones. I don't know if there's a prospect out there that will warrant that kind of thing. But if you can go into next year's draft with multiple firsts, and already there are already a few teams that are in that position, it's going to position you to be able to make an aggressive trade up next year if you're not close enough to that top spot for that quarterback. Uh, no, that's a good point. I mean, with the COVID year and some of these players, there was some surprise. Some players went back because they didn't actually have enough games in. They sat out last year. Yeah. I mean, there were some issues, and I think that some players felt like you, there could be more talent coming out next year. So you're you're right about that. What about, you yeah. know, now we're hearing seven, eight, nine wide receivers. I mean, certainly everybody plays fantasy football, and that's exciting. And, and you saw it used yeah. to be, oh, no, rookie wide receivers, you don't draft them. And anyone who drafted Jamar Chase probably won their fantasy league and Justin <laughs> yeah. Jefferson the last couple of years. So we for you. Yeah, so give me some of the thoughts about some of these wide receivers like Drake London, Gary Wilson, and where do you think they're going to go? Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be um, it, it's going to be anyone's guess. I think it's really going to be based on the team, which team actually bites on a wide receiver first. I think that's going to dictate who goes first. There is no Jamar Chase in this class. There's no, there's no like, bona fide number one guy. I think it's going to be based on what teams need. I'm looking at – Garrett Wilson or Jamison Williams, those are the two guys I think are going to be in the running for the first wide receiver taken. Um, Jamison Williams, obviously coming off the torn ACL, that is going to impact his rookie year. He, My guess is he won't see the field until October or November, and that alone it's kind of a bit of a red flag, but you want to talk about the most explo- explosive deep threat in the class, that's it. And he's also tough as anything. Sometimes you get these like Ted Ginn receivers coming out that can run a fast <laughs> 40, but they're not football players. Jamison Williams, he was a gunner on special teams. I mean, the guy is as tough as it comes. Garrett Wilson, it kind of fits into that Stephon Diggs 
mold and that he can get open with movement no matter what. He's got outstanding ball skills. He's very slippery after the catch. You know, those are the kind of guys that they create explosive plays. That's what every offense is looking for now, right? They need explosive plays, and it's not always going to be chuck the ball downfield to DK Metcalf. It's going to be get the guy, get the guy the ball underneath and let him do some damage after. If a team really needs some Mike Evans type size, and you kind of want to gamble on that, you know, that basketball power forward type receiver, Drake London's probably going to be their guy. Um, but there's still uh, he had some drop issues. There's a lot kind of rough around the edges. I don't know if he's going to be able to get open. Everyone loves to talk about how much success he had in contested situations. My response is, why was he always in contested situations? <laughs> That's a great point. You know? I mean, how, how he's, he's, just, he's having a hard time getting open. And one of my, my one of my favorite guys. I think he's going to need a good offense to really be truly effective. And I know that you could say that about everyone, but I think if Chris Olave gets into the right it's a Green Bay. With, Green Bay, Kansas yeah. City. I mean, that guy is as smooth as you're ever going to find in terms of getting open and a really good quarterback. They know how to work with those guys. They anticipate them getting open. He's such a sure route runner. He reminds me a lot of Isaac Bruce, Marvin Harrison, that type that if you get, if you get him in the right scheme with the right quarterback, he's going to be catching 100 passes a year. An, you bring up Olave, and I was going to ask you, who do you think Rodgers would want the most? And I was leaning him, too, because of the route running. And Rodgers wants a guy who's going to be where he says he's going to be or where he should be. So yep. you think he's the yep. best fit for Green Bay? I do. You know, when I, when I do the, I'm not a huge mock draft guy, but I do have to make um, some uh, a couple per year just for a couple different people, and that's who I put him. I, I, I think if Rodgers has any say, which I think what happened after the past year or two, I think <laughs> he's going to have some say with at least one of these picks, right? I mean – you have to think they're going to be using one of these picks on a receiver. And I think if he has his option out of all these guys, I think he would go for Alave. We're speaking with uh, Dave Syverton here on Ira on Sports. Uh, Dave, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, you know, scout for our lads. How do we find and learn more about you and follow along with you? Thank you. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I, I'm, be, I'm trying to be a little bit more active than I have been in the past. I will be active with every single pick. Um, draft weekend, and I mean every single pick. I'll be making a little tweet about it, try to get some original content there, something that you won't normally hear. Um, that is um, at rlads underscore psi. Um, rlads is spelled O-U-R-L-A-D-S, and then underscore S-Y. Dave, I want to thank you so much for uh, popping by here on Iron Sports. Thank you. It's 747. That's what you're listening to. I run sports. This is Oldies 95.9 and 106.9. And I do believe we have him on the line. It's Kelly Pavlik. Kelly, you there? Hello? Kelly, I'm, I'm Mike. I'm here with Ira. How's it going? Uh, going good. Going good. Just moving, moving. That's about <laughs> it. Ira? Well, Kelly, I, I brought you on the uh, the show today because... I think a fight has come up, and it's going to be this weekend. I don't hear a lot of talk about it, but I think it's huge. Tyson Fury, Dylan White, 2 p.m. on Saturday. It's an afternoon fight, so people who don't you know, go to bed before 10 or 11 o'clock at night and don't want to stay up can watch it. But it's uh, going to have almost 100,000 people in attendance in England. It's the biggest fight in the history of England, they're saying. And, and talk about in terms of Fury and White, like what we should be looking for in this fight. Well, yeah, it's a shame that there's not as much, um, you know, hype about that fight here in the States, uh, you know, but that just shows, you know, what, what boxing people say is down, but, you know, sometimes it's the fans to blame, I guess. Um, but it is a big fight. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge fight. Uh, White, Dylan White, can, you know, he can fight. He's uh, a dangerous, and I say this all the time, 
anytime you got two big guys that are especially anybody over two hundred and over two hundred pounds, let alone the size of these guys, you know, going out and battling, anything can happen. But for the most part, you know, I think that Tyson Fury with his boxing ability and um, his size, you know, I, I just think that he's he's one of the greats at heavyweight. You know, a lot of people will say I'm crazy, but you know, this day and age in boxing, where fighters average six six, six seven, six eight, you know, um, he's just a big guy that can fight. You know, he's got good boxing ability, good endurance, and and uh, not only that, but he lays that weight on people and it tires them down. So, I mean, a huge fight, um, but I, I, I look to him to win. And it must be exciting. Now, do you have something related to this? When you were you beat Jermaine Taylor for the middleweight championship of the world, undisputed in New Jersey, defend you know beat him again in Vegas, and then you came back to Youngstown for two fights. So you you know even though your Youngstown crew went everywhere, thousands of people at both those sites, but that's Fury. Now Fury has won these titles against Wilder with three times with Wilder. He hasn't fought in England in about four or five years. He's now coming back to England, and now he's fighting in front of a hundred thousand people. That should be a lot of motivation. Against no, Dylan White is also English, but it's, that should be fun for Fury. Oh, absolutely! I mean, um, you know, he deserved his his shot. I mean, first, you know, you got to tip your hat to him that Wilder is a dangerous fighter. You know, Wilder is a brutal puncher, and and Tyson Fury could have, you know, agreed to fight, you know, anybody in between those Wilder fights. Um, it, it's just uh, uh, he deserved he deserves this right now. You know, you earned it to, to go back home and fight. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. Um, you know, it's uh, still going to be big. It'll be a massive turnout over there for him. And, uh, you know, now I don't know. Is this fight pay-per-view? It's pay-per-view on ESPN Plus uh, in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah, so you may have mentioned that, but I didn't know if it was, you know, because the zone or whatever networks they are now. But, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so the, the buys might be crazy. You know, they, they still might be good. I think that, uh, definitely your diehards even here in the States will, you know, order that fight. So, you know, I, I know I'm going to try to watch it. Um, you know, probably mess everything up, but <laughs> I'll, I'll try to make sure I see it. And then another big fight coming up. While we have you on, we're talking to Kelly Pavlik, former middleweight champion of the world. Um, Canelo Alvarez versus Dimitri Bivol. Um, Alvarez is doing something that you sort of did a little bit. You went from middleweight to light heavyweight. You were bouncing around in those, and he's now competing. Like it seems like he's fighting for the light heavyweight title. Then he fights back, comes back in weight. I mean, that's a challenge. I mean, you went up to Hopkins and fought hot. You know, you were moving around too in weight. It seems. I mean, it doesn't seem. You know, when you look at the poundage, you're like, oh well, it's not that big deal. But it seems like you know it's a challenge. But you know, he's the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and there's a big difference too between when you're moving weight classes. You know, taking that away from guys like Manny Pacquiao, I mean, I think it's amazing what he did in a lot of the other greats. Um, but there's a big difference moving from uh, actually 154 to, you know, 175 than there is from, you know, 120 to, to 147. Um, it's just a big difference and it's dangerous. And I, you know, give credit to Canelo. Uh, it's an interesting fight. You know, I've learned not to go against Canelo. It's just he's damn good. You know, he's been beating everybody. Uh, of course, you're always going to have the haters out there that that's going to say that you know he's not doing anything or he's cherry picking. Um, so he'll never win in that category. But you know, Canelo can fight. I just with this fight, uh, it might be a little too much to fight off due to the, the natural size of Bebo and the ability of Bebo. 
Well, yeah, Stabivo's 19-0, very strong fighter. So that's May, that fight's coming up May 7th. And then I want to talk about a fight that is not set yet, but I think it's in everybody's mind after this weekend where Errol Spence, Errol Spence who is considered like the number six pound-for-pound fighter, but the top welterweight, undefeated, 28-0, 32 years old, beat Jordanus Jurgis, and then against uh, Terrence Crawford, who's the number two pound-for-pound welterweight. You know, he's 38-0, and and they're right, you know, one's 32, one's 34, and as a fight fan, I don't want to see them fight when they're 36 and 37 you want to see him fight now like as the years go by people have been talking about this fight it seems like for four years you know and since they've been in the late 20s yeah yeah and, uh, but I think because of this last fight the way that Spence looked um, I think people would definitely want to see it you know I think the sparks are again for it and uh, you know it's so hey but you know I, I thought Spence looked good for being laid off as long as he has what was it, 15 months um you know, I, I thought he looked really good in that fight. Uh, a little slow here and there, but the guy, you know, he looked sharp for that, that time off. And, of course, Crawford looked good against Sean Porter. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting fight. Yeah, that'd be great. So, Kelly, thanks for coming on. You're you're still doing the thing on Punchline, is that correct? Uh, I took a little break to that due to the fact of, uh, you know, just a lot going on right now. Um, I'm involved in but uh you know, I do sports testing throughout the country, and, and uh, you know, I have the gym here and getting ready to open another gym and, and just a lot going on. So we kind of put the punchline on, on hold for a little bit. We still have the uh, fan page on on Facebook, but, you know, hopefully when everything slows down a little bit, you know, we get back to that. Well, good luck with your gyms. I mean, clearly you see everybody getting to boxing to stay in shape. So it's not just the uh, people who want to be world champions. You see everybody is a great way to stay in shape. So good luck with your gyms in Youngstown. But Kelly, oh, thank you. thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Hey, always a pleasure. Thank you. 754 Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. <clears throat> I'm Mike Balsamo. 17 to 13 right now. The Philadelphia 76ers on top of the Raptors mounted a big comeback. They were down at 13 to 2 just a few moments ago. Just wanted to add something about that White Fury fight. Um, it, I, I couldn't believe, you know, it's 100,000 people for a fight. It's going to be insane. in Wembley. And now, look, Kyrie Irving doesn't like Boston Celtic fans. Can you believe? <laughs> this is going to be crazy, wild. I mean, this is going to be amazing how these, they, they, they're more crazy than soccer fans. You're going to have them in Wembley. It's going to be the hardest I think they'll ever have in, in Wembley. And, uh, and you think about the fights in 1926 and 27, Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney fought in front of 105, 120,000. Uh, Chavez once fought in Mexico City and 135,000. Short of that, this is going to be the most to ever see a fight. And Fury is a, he's going to clown around. He sings after the fight. He dances. <laughs> I'm telling you, Fury's water, that last fight was the most entertaining fight I think I might have ever seen. Uh, tremendous. He is just full of, you know, there's all this he gets hit he gets falls down he comes back it's just it's hilarious so i'm literally looking forward to it that's why i wanted to have kelly pavlik on a former middleweight undisputed middleweight champion of the world ira just a few moments ago the nba has announced their defensive player of the year do you have any guess who that'd be i saw it so Did i know you? marcus <laughs> smart first guard since 1995-96 so very impressive gary payton uh took it home that year so let's talk baseball ira back underway i've watched probably 25 hours of baseball over the past, you know, just weekend. I'm dialed in. I'm watching from uh, 1 a.m. to uh, 1 p.m. to 1 a.m. They got a little bit of a problem. So far in baseball, the average start is 4.1 innings, meaning these guys aren't even registering for wins or losses. Well, you can get a loss. You can't get a win if you don't go five innings. Through one week, only six pitchers pitched six innings. <laughs> That's a little bit of an issue, no? 
That I, we talked about this, and I'm telling you, it's like years and years ago. If you talked about a college football team, nobody knew, even Alabama, nobody knew who the quarterback was. It's not yeah. football was more like it's the running back, the linebackers, whatever. Baseball, everyone knew who the starting pitcher. They pitched nine innings. It was the Tom Seavers, the Steve Carlton's, Roger Clemens, those guys. Those were the pitchers. Even a few years ago, CC Sabathia. Like you talk about the starting pitchers of a team, but the fact is that you're just not thinking about these teams. Like you'd go to a baseball game. The first thing I said, should I go to the game? Who's pitching? Well, mm-hmm. for the pitcher, they're going to pitch two innings, and it's just going to be a bull pin guy and this other thing it's it doesn't baseball was losing their stars in this in a time when the nba has always had stars football now i mean it's brady if brady and rogers are playing it you know there's a hundred other guys on the team but that's what people are looking at is brady and rogers the other sports are going star 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 baseball seems to be like minimizing their stars already it's a sport that minimizes you have hitters that only come up once every you know four times a game so the point is the pitchers were the ones who were throwing 120 130 pitches they were to take them out of the game, you're losing your stars. And I don't think it's going to get better before it gets worse. I mean, you see teams like Tampa Bay who use openers, and they have starting pitchers that are there for three innings. That's all they want them to pitch. And this team goes to the World Series. So they're setting a precedent that we don't need guys going eight innings. We're going to pitch by committee. And you're right, to the casual fan, I don't want to see random relievers pitch to two lefties and come out of the game. Right, and I think it it really hurts baseball. And, And if you ask people... The, look, if you follow a team and you're a diehard, you'll know all your pitchers and you'll know everything. But if you're not the diehard of the team, it's hard to just turn a game on. Like, who is this pitcher? But if I saw Scherzer on the mound or DeGrom on the mound, like this, the few star pitchers that are left or, or uh, Verlander, you know, you know those guys. You want to watch him pitch. But if they're not on the mound, and then when they're going against a big hitter, when you see a Verlander against a Lindor, oh, I got to watch that. I got this is going to be exciting. You want to see that matchup between the great pitcher and the great hitter. But you don't care if it's even if it's a great hitter against someone you don't know, then it doesn't matter. The top four in Vegas, if you want to bet the AL Cy Young, it's Shane Bieber, number one, Garrett Cole, number two, Dylan Cease, number three, and Robbie Ray, number four. Most fans don't know who three of those four guys are. That's a problem, too. Maybe we're losing the stud eight-inning guy. I mean, this is just kind of the way it's trending. Regardless, baseball's underway. We're excited about that. What's your takeaway so far from 10-ish days of baseball? I think that, well, as I predicted, I felt when I saw the two spring training games, I think the Mets look good. Look, they don't have DeGrom. They're, what, seven and three? Their ERA is 1.08 without the best pitcher in baseball. That's phenomenal. Right. Amazing. And Alfonso is playing well. Lindor is coming back. It just seems like this team, and, and maybe Showalter could have been the right manager for this team. I mean, they've they they, they they've sort of been, as the manager in baseball, I've talked about a position that no one thinks is of value at all. But um, I feel like, boy, I'm liking how the Mets are playing. And uh, But I'm excited. Look, a big series coming up. Atlanta is at the Dodgers. Kershaw's on the mound. Freddie Freeman is now going to play against his old team. So it's exciting. I know my friends. It's going to be in L.A. Everyone I know out in L.A., it's, it's a bit. They're going to get 50000 a game for that, so that's great. Let's move to golf, Ira. And I was thinking about this, and I texted you last night because I wanted to see what you thought about this. I don't think there's another athlete on the planet who's as universally liked as Jordan Spieth. Nobody has a problem with Jordan Spieth. Giannis might be the second, because everyone loves him. But Jordan Spieth, when he wins, it's good for golf, and this was a good uh, good weekend for golf fans. And his wife runs out with his kid. New baby, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the, but um, no, it's Spieth and Canelay. I mean, there's a lot of takeaways from this. My takeaway is the fact that there were 10 golfers within one stroke between a 1,300 yeah. or 1,200 RBC Heritage. How about the other takeaway? This field was tremendous. The Huge. day, the week after the Masters, we talk about the Honda Classic, where it's positioned. 
positioned, how this is positioned with the Genesis and this. This is right after the Masters, you expect. But they had Spieth, they had Cantlay, they had Berger, Morikawa, Justin Thomas, uh, Dustin Johnson. I mean, Cam it, Smith. Yeah. It's just it's just a great a great field. And how about the Honda? <laughs> Sepp Straka, who won the Honda, has finished 12 under, and Shane La- Shane it's, is Shane Lowry almost in every top 10. This yeah. is unbelievable. It's almost like two months of Shane Lowry. I've been waiting for him to win a bunch in a row because he just is in every he's he's competing in every single tournament everywhere. So Spieth when it wins in a, when it, he won a year ago on Easter. He's like if he's on Easter, you got to and uh, RBC Heritage. Then we got some golf. We got Zurich Classic, which is a team which I'm not that excited about. In New Orleans coming up, mm-hmm. and then you have the Mexico Open, which they haven't even had in a while. And then they have Wells Fargo Potomac, Byron Nelson Texas, and the PGA Championship in Tulsa. And that's the question. Will Tiger? You know, Tiger's probably not going to play in any of those other tournaments. But would Tiger play in the PGA Championship in Tulsa? I, I would hope so. We'll see. Um, I'll, I'll tell you who is going to play. Some of the best quarterbacks <laughs> in the league. I, I, I didn't know what to think about this today. So um, Brady and Rogers are going to square off in the next match versus Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Are we excited about this? I I'm a little excited. I'm probably going to watch it, but it's it, there's no golfers before they've had Mickelson and Woods and other Bryson DeChambeau and other people involved in it. So. It's uh, it is weird that there's going to be no pro golfers at this. It's going to be at the win in, in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. right on the strip. Twelve holes. Twelve holes. And uh, Brady, I was intrigued that they put Brady and Rogers Me together, too. which is interesting because if you look at their handicaps, Brady and Rogers' handicap is much lower than Mahomes and Allen's handicap. So they're the two better golfers are the older golfers. Because you would hope think they have more time to play golf over the time than Mahomes and Allen. So that'd be, uh, I think that's it. Might might not be competitive. What's weird to me is. These guys are supposed to be rivals, and they're both. It's the two best quarterbacks in the NFC versus the two best quarterbacks in the AFC. Mix and match them, so they're not buddy buddy before they play in the AFC <laughs> and NFC championship game. Well, I don't know if they're going to become buddy buddy, but it is it is intriguing. I know Brady sent a tweet out earlier. People were like, he listed. He goes Rodgers, Mahomes, and Allen. I said, why did he only pick those three? What's this? Uh, the, like some nefarious reason? And then it was just sort of hinting well, it's going to come forward. But I, they had a talk show this morning for like a half an hour. saying, like, why did Brady Brady send that tweet out? He's I think he's uh, it's a front an affront to these other other great quarterbacks like uh, Justin Herbert or something. <laughs> well, Sam Bradford's a scratch golfer. Get him out. <laughs> what about racing? Um, Formula One it was off this week. They're playing. Ro- they're in Rome, and then Miami is May eighth. So excited! To, we're hopefully going to get someone on. I mean, to, as a guest, I, th- as we're down here in South Florida. I, everyone is talking about this Formula One race. It is enormous. Tickets are like a thousand dollars. I can imagine. In, and yeah. it is just they're not. The thing is, people are confused about. They're not going through the stadium. They're going around the stadium. It would be cool if they went through the stadium, but mm-hmm. I don't think they can do that. It's just too complicated <laughs> to do it. NASCAR, they had Bristol on the dirt, so they had the dirt race. They've year, they've had so many problems. It's such a great idea, and it looks great on TV, and I watched it, and it's just, it doesn't work because they can't get it going. It's just difficult with dirt, but I, I give NASCAR credit for doing it. Kyle Busch won at the end when Tyler Reddick and Chase Briscoe uh, crashed, so it was a big win for for Kyle Busch, but uh, it's the first time they run an Easter Sunday on purpose in a while. They don't usually run on Easter, but TV won it on Easter Sunday, and now Talladega we know Talladega Nights and stuff like that, and Ricky Bobby and Will <laughs> But Talladega is the next, next race. We're the shake and bake of sports radio, yes. you and me, Ira. I, I don't know how much momentum means in a lot of sports. In baseball, I would argue, not that important. You get a new pitcher every night. Momentum, it is what it is. Guys are hitting or they're not. Football, typically at the end of the season, the best teams are resting their guys. In hockey, momentum matters. Our Florida Panthers here have won 10 in a row going into the playoffs in just about two weeks. If this team... I know they haven't won a series in decades. If they don't make at least the Eastern Conference Finals, I think it's a wasted season for the Florida Panthers. I see them in the Stanley Cup. 
And I think it's going to be exciting for us Floridians. Are we going to go, you and I going to go yes. to a game? We have to. Together. Like, have together to. to a game. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a sporting event with you. So, <laughs> but I would can't, I want to go. I want to learn. I want you to tell me all the nuances. So I definitely want to go to a Florida Panther game. I went last year to the playoff game mm-hmm. when they played Tampa. I loved it. It is, it is, I don't know what we're advertising, but the fact is, it's such an easy stadium to get to because in Boca, you don't have to fight through. I mean, when I go to the, my, the FTX arena, it is war zone trying to get through the traffic and the parking and the this. The parking lot I, I usually park at was closed on Sunday, so mm-hmm. I had to go find another lot. But this is so easy to get to because you don't have to fight through any traffic. It's perfect. What are we doing this week? Miami Heat tomorrow night. Can't wait. Uh, Heat versus Hawks. Playoff. Ba- you know the Heat have not played playoff basketball in many many years at home. It was their first win since 2016. So it's fun to. I just love going to basketball games in Miami for the playoffs. It's just awesome. I want to thank so much David Hyde, also Dave Cyberston, and Kelly Pavlik for joining us tonight. We're out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.